Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Beyond the Valley. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Karpal here in London and in this episode we're going to be talking about cryptocurrency, recapping the crazy year that was 2022 and looking ahead to what we can expect from 2023. But before you kick off, I want to give a couple of very stark stats. Firstly, in 2022, nearly $1.4 trillion of value was wiped off the cryptocurrency market. From the, from the market's peak in November 2021, more than $2 trillion have been wiped off. 2022 really was a year unlike any other we've seen before in the crypto space. Uh, there was an implosion basically marked by macroeconomic issues, collapses of companies, bankruptcies, liquidity issues, and now criminal allegations. So what happened? How did we get here? And what comes next? I'm pleased to say I'm joined by Ryan Brown, technology correspondent here at CNBC. Ryan, good to see you. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Arjun. Good to see you. Let's kick off first, because set the context here. One of the big issues last year was really the, the, the changing macro environment. What I mean is uh, rising interest rates from the Federal Reserve high in, to, to tackle high inflation. We saw other central banks around the world also raise interest rates. That basically meant that a lot of investors in traditional assets like stocks began to dump some of those risky assets like technology growth stocks and other names as well. And one of the things we saw really was how Bitcoin and the broader crypto space was quite correlated, I guess, to some of these, uh, the stock markets, and in particular indices like the NASDAQ. Uh, and as those indices fell, uh, you saw investors also dumping uh, things like Bitcoin. And that was really one big factor in why we saw the drop in 2022. But what was interesting is there were a lot of crypto specific issues. And it re really began in the first half of the year with Terra USD, this algorithmic stablecoin. Uh, and what effectively it was supposed to do really was mirror the US dollar, be pegged one to one with the US dollar, but actually it was governed by an algorithm rather than any kind of uh, reserve of, of real fiat currency. Now, that collapsed and we saw a big knock-on effect across the industry from that. And that really kicked off a series of events and chain reactions across the crypto space. So Ryan, just talk to me a bit about what impact that had in the crypto space. What were the contagion effects we saw from the fallout of, of Terra USD? Terra USD really was such a huge uh, factor that played a role in the kind of contagion that we saw. What Terra USD kind of immediately led to was liquidity issues at Three Arrows Capital. Now, this was a $10 billion hedge fund um, that managed clients' assets and used them to make risky leveraged bets on, on tokens, one of them being Terra USD um, and, and Luna, the sort of Terra uh, protocol. Now, when Terra plunged in value as a result of losing its peg, um, that had uh, a huge impact on 3AC because 3AC had a big leveraged position uh, associated with Terra USD, and so 3AC found itself facing uh, its own liquidity crisis and not being able to pay its debts. 
Now, one of those debts was to Voyager Digital, uh, which is a, a well-known crypto lender um, that had billions of dollars in, in client deposits. Voyager Digital then found itself you know, on the hook for millions of dollars in unpaid loans lent to uh, 3AC, as much as $670 million uh, of, of, of capital. That then led to Voyager you know, not being able to pay its own clients money that they had stored in the platform. And so Voyager itself had to uh, file for, for bankruptcy as well. That's a, a good sort of idea of that particular part of the contagion. But there, there was more as well because there were other parts of the market that also got exposed. And that was around risky lending um, business models. And of course, one of the big companies there was Celsius. This was a company that enticed users to effectively uh, deposit their crypto with the company in exchange for very, very high um, interest rates right? Uh, rewarded in, in yield. So if users put their money in, uh, the company would offer very high yield that they wouldn't be getting elsewhere. But what Celsius was really doing in the background was taking those, uh, that money that was being deposited and lending that out to other parts of the market, such as trade, traders and hedge funds, etc., at even higher interest rates, and then sort of pocketing uh, the profit from that and effectively sharing it with users. But that really came under pressure after we saw the market crash as a result of TerraUSD pessimism in the market and pressured prices, and it forced a major liquidity issue at Celsius as well. They were forced to, to pause withdrawals. They eventually filed for bankruptcy. We saw many issues like that across the market, and um, I thought that was a really interesting part. And then we had this little lull in the year where we saw things happening, we saw these bankruptcies being declared, we saw companies pledging to try to get customer funds back, and uh, a little bit of a lull. And then FTX happened. The massive cryptocurrency exchange founded by Sam Bankman-Fried, who many of the people listening and watching might know about because it's been such a high-profile uh, case. Now, he was an interesting character because when all these collapses were happening in the crypto market in 2022, you often saw him step in and say, well, we could perhaps buy this company and offer credit to this company so that they can survive. And he almost billed himself as this kind of uh, crypto savior, this lender of last resort for the market. And he was really elevated by the crypto community as this character. But he had a major fall from grace after the FTX exchange collapsed. Uh, at the back end of 2022, and now he's facing criminal charges. So my question to you, Ryan, is, you know, FTX was a huge exchange globally. How did this happen? How did it end up collapsing? So in November, uh, the CEO of, of Binance, Shangpeng Zhao, posts a tweet saying, we're going to dump uh, a huge pile of, of FTT tokens. Now, what FTT was, was the native token of the FTX exchange. Now. What that meant was effectively it was a token that users could buy to get discounts on, on their trading fees and, and you know, other perks. But that was a token created by FTX. Um, now, there was a report from Coindesk which uh, suggested some of the ties between FTX and its sister company, Alameda Research. Now, what that report said was that uh, a huge amount of the reserves that Alameda Research had was in FTT, FTX's own token. So when uh, investors that report and then it was kind of amplified by uh, Zhao, um, you know, of, of a rival exchange, they sold in a panic, you know, in a frenzy. And that just led to a huge liquidity drain on FTX as they piled out of, of the exchange and moved their money out. 
And as a result of that, FTX found itself not being able to process those withdrawals. It didn't have enough money on tap to be able to do that. So eventually FTX found itself having to file for, for bankruptcy as well. And the interesting part of the story, I guess, was Changpeng Zhao himself, CZ, uh, tweeted that Binance was going to basically dump all its FTT it holders. And that was really what sparked that massive sell-off, right? Exactly. So, so Zhao was the, the sort of figure who really drew attention to this. And it's interesting because there's a long kind of feud running between these two figures. Now, post FTX, what this means in the crypto ecosystem is you've got this massive player now, Binance, already the biggest exchange, but now even more so. And it's filling this gap that's been left by FTX as a kind of touted savior of the industry. So Zhao... Uh, runs a rival exchange, prompted the sale of the FTT token, which eventually led to the collapse of FTX. Now there's a lot of allegations that have come out around the big issues at FTX. It wasn't just about FTT, but it was about some of the actions they were doing behind the scenes with customer funds. So you said there's FTX, the exchange, uh, founded by Sam Bankman-Fried. And he had another company, Alameda Research, this hedge fund on the side, and they were linked. Just run us through what, what some of the allegations are right now being made um, and what some of the issues at both companies uh, that compounded and led to, to the collapse of the exchange. Yeah, so FTX was the exchange which was responsible for taking client money um, and then letting them buy and sell tokens. Uh, shouldn't really be touching the, those, those funds. Alameda Research, on the other hand, was this quantitative trading company, interestingly started by Bankman-Fried, and actually led to the start of FTX in the first place. Bankman-Fried had a history of trading cryptocurrency before he had started FTX, and that's what led to his wealth in the first place and why he started that company. Now, what's been alleged, like the caretaker CEO who's kind of taken over, John Ray III, who oversaw the, the Enron bankruptcy, um, what is being alleged at the moment is that um, Alameda Research borrowed billions of dollars of, of funds from FTX, client money, to then fund uh, very risky leveraged bets in several tokens. One of those being Solana, which is a very well-known uh, project, and also FTT, which was the token of FTX itself. And FTX allegedly used FTT as collateral for, for a lot of loans as well. So a lot of, perhaps some would say, careless actions and, and not really a lot of governance and, and risk management going on. So yeah, so there's a lot of allegations about what's happened here, but the, the overarching one seems to be that it's a misappropriation of those funds. And some would say John Ray III, who's been bought in as sort of this caretaker CEO in FTX right now, he's had to testify in front of lawmakers in the US. And he's looking at what the, the inner workings of FTX as he sees it, he's actually said some pretty harsh things about the way that company was run in the end. Uh, just run us through some of the things he said uh, over the past few months around FTX and his view on, on what's been happening internally in terms of management uh, and some of, the, some of the issues he's flagged. Definitely. He has not minced his words. Um, John Ray III has been very uh, candid about the, the sort of the, the issues that, that happened at FTX and one of the things that he flagged was just the fact that even trying to locate documents, funds, all the sort of things that, that were going on at FTX, it's been really tricky that there's been, he's been stonewalled, there's been no actual transparency at all in typical dealings of, of, of how a business is run. Um, and he's even said that in his 40 years of, of legal and restructuring experience, 
he had never seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. So some pretty strong statements. Yeah, it's good to mention what's been happening at the time of us recording this podcast. Um, Sam Bankman-Fried has been charged by US federal prosecutors on eight criminal counts, including securities and wire fraud. He was extradited from the Bahamas to the US. Uh, He's pled not guilty uh, so far. Um, And of course, that that trial will continue. As you mentioned, Caroline Ellison, who was the CEO of Alameda Research, uh, and Gary Wang, who was uh, a co-founder of FTX, have both pleaded guilty on a number of charges and agreed to cooperate with the investigation, which I think is obviously a big blow for Sam Bankman-Fried, but we'll be watching that trial as it goes ahead. Um, That's an ongoing process, but of course, we have already seen fallout from FTX collapse. Uh, What has been some of the key points around the contagion and the fallout from it? There's been lots of dominoes uh, falling as as a result of FTX. It's been an ongoing case in 2022, uh, starting with Terra, then 3AC, then Voyager um, and plenty of other companies have folded as a result of that. But immediately after FTX, there was BlockFi, um, which was one of the crypto lenders that operated uh, similarly to to Celsius, where they would let users uh, lend their tokens out um, in return for these very high yields, um, which were purportedly generated as a result of lending those out to other institutional borrowers as a result of high demand. So what happened with BlockFi was that uh, it had a lot of exposure to FTX and Alameda. Uh, In fact, just before FTX collapsed, BlockFi had sought assistance from from FTX to prevent itself from facing its own liquidity crisis. So it had a lot of money lent from FTX to BlockFi. So there was clear exposure there. BlockFi was the immediate casualty and subsequently filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Now, currently, there is also the case of, of Genesis, uh, this, this huge crypto investment bank. Um, it's owned by Digital Currency Group, which is a massive crypto conglomerate, owns uh, Luno, the crypto exchange, uh, Coindesk, the publication that actually triggered all of this in the first place, um, and Genesis, uh, which is a huge player. Now, this company is at the heart of a dispute now with uh, Gemini, a crypto exchange owned by the, the Winklevoss twins. Um, what Gemini uh, is saying is that uh, they're owed $900 million from uh, Genesis, which is owed to clients of its own retail crypto lending products, Gemini Earn. Gemini Earn would offer users, again, yields uh, very, very high, as high as 8%. Um, and the way it did that was by lending uh, the money out to Genesis. Um, and then Genesis would again lend that money out to institutional borrowers. Now, because Genesis has uh, some exposure to FTX, it had funds uh, locked on FTX before it collapsed, it's now facing its own uh, liquidity crunch and it's it's paused withdrawals. And as a result, Gemini's had to pause withdrawals as well. A lot of casualties immediately after FTX. So complicated, it's like a web. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. We're just going to take a very quick break to bring you this short message. 
I think what's interesting in all of this discussion is there's a few themes that really underscore this cycle and collapse that we've seen in the market. And unlike any other we've seen, we, we wrote at uh, some point in 2022 before all this FTX uh, collapse happened about how the, the so-called crypto winter, this, this long period of downturn in prices, um, was different and unlike any other we've seen in the past. And I think that still holds true. High leverage, uh, particularly from retail investors, uh, the macro environment drastically different than one we've seen in terms of interest rates on the rise and uh, stocks on the decline. Um, huge contagion across the industry, um, which we haven't seen this much before. Uh, business models being found out. And also now, of course, this criminal investigation into Sam Bankman-Fried, which again, very different to what we've seen in past cycles. There, have been, there has been a lot of negative news, for sure, but are there any silver linings from this FTX collapse and some of the fallout we've seen? Yes, so, and I, I just want to echo what, what you were saying, first off, just how different things are right now. I mean, in 2017, uh, I mean, we were there at the time reporting on the last bull run, and what happened then was very much a case of the, the, the players involved there were very much retail investors for the, for the most part. So there was leverage, there, there was margin trading, all these other things were, were a factor, but it wasn't these big institutions. So really though, that interweb connection of different players that are, that are involved here is really the thing that's hampered the industry. Um, now a big part of, of what uh, crypto investors and bulls had hoped for was institutional involvement leading to more adoption. Um, and it's not the expectation in the industry yet that that, that will go away. There, there's still big institutions involved here. You've got uh, big players like uh, Bank of New York Milan, um, who, who opened a custody unit, hold tokens. And there's, there's many other big players in, involved here in, in the market. Um, and another silver lining is just the fact that Bitcoin, obviously its price is, is uh, very much you know, depressed at the moment. There's still a range that it's trading in at the moment. But I think one of the big silver linings really is the fact that regulators, they've been long been talking about uh, regulating the crypto industry because this really is an industry that just hasn't got any clear rules of the road yet. Um, I think it's something we've been touching on for a long time reporting this. But now the expectation is that those regulators will get involved um, and set out clear regulations. Uh, one is the, the European Union which has the markets in crypto assets uh, law, um, which is hopefully going to come into force in, in the next couple of years. And what that will mean is essentially greater protections for um, investors. Um, if a company fails um, and loses customers' assets, those companies will be liable and there, there will be transparency. So there's clear laws coming in here. In the US, um, this is a conversation that's still developing. Unfortunately, there's a lot of kind of uh, clash between the different regulators involved here. The SEC wants to be very active as a regulator and have a big seat at the table, but you've got a lot of cooks in the kitchen trying to, to work that out. So it's there's, there's more to come um, on the regulation front. But the, the hope is that that will make the industry not so much a wild west, but more of an acceptable uh, market. Yeah, the debate right now is really also, do regulators want to touch this stuff? It's for so long, the US has spoken about regulating crypto and, and various other jurisdictions. Do regulators want to get involved with it? Or are they happy to let crypto burn? I think that's really going to be a, a big sort of debate. Um, and if we don't see action in the next few years, I think we'll have our answer. But clearly, like you said, the EU trying to push through uh, some regulation on this front, and I think you are going to see other jurisdictions do the same. 
could could it go like China, which has gone very anti-crypto and no. just cracked down on, on that market completely? It'd be interesting to see how that, that, that unfolds for sure. Let's talk about 2023 then. Uh, it's been a rough year in 2022, 2023, as far as uh, we're concerned. Well, at the time of this recording, it started off pretty quiet in terms of the market action. Uh, but there doesn't really appear to be any real catalyst for any kind of leg up in Bitcoin or or any upward move, really. Um, it's stuck in a certain range for, for a few weeks now. But there are still certainly a lot of black clouds looming over the whole market. This continuing FTX saga, what other fallout we might see, and, and Bitcoin's price continuing to remain pretty depressed. So we've been speaking to a lot of people, Ryan, about what they think might happen in, in 2023 for Bitcoin. Uh, and the broader crypto market. Um, you had a couple of bullish calls from people you spoke to. Run us through them and the reasoning behind them. Definitely. Uh, so yeah, I, I uh, asked Tim Draper, the founder of Draper Associates, well-noted uh, venture capitalist. He had a very, very bullish call about Bitcoin, uh, predicting that the, the, the currency would go to uh, $250,000 uh, by the end of 2022. Clearly that did not happen, um, but uh, he has since extended that prediction to mid-2023 instead. Now, it's going to take a, a big jump for the, the token to get to that level, but Draper's reasoning here is really that there's still more uh, room for mainstream adoption. He believes that women are not quite yet you know, involved in, in crypto yet. He, he thinks that they're going to take a much greater role. Um, retail spending and adoption of crypto will, will take off and that'll be a big catalyst for crypto to get to that price. He also says that in the Bitcoin mining sector, interestingly, there's been a lot of capitulation with a lot of the, the big mining names facing pressure and having to sell and offload their holdings. Now, what he hopes is that means that there might be some kind of bottom forming where there's been so much selling pressure that you're, not, you're running out of sellers. So you don't have any more remaining selling pressure in the market. Um, so that, that's Draper's hope. Um, I also asked uh, Carol Alexander, um, who is an academic at the University of Sussex for her view as well. And, and she sees Bitcoin potentially going higher uh, uh, this year. Uh, and her, her reasoning is that uh, essentially these Bitcoin whales who, who are a big force in, in the market, she sees them uh, propping up the, the price of, of Bitcoin because, you know, they're, they're, they're huge players. So their, their actions have big moves on, on the market. Um, and so she sees the, the price potentially going as, as high as $50,000 this year. Um, but of course, uh, it's anyone's guess really how, how it trades. And of course, there's always other people on the other side of the trade as well. And I've got two interesting calls here. One from Mark Mobius, who's a veteran investor. Um, he thinks Bitcoin could go as low as $10,000 in 2023. Now, he was correct in calling Bitcoin's leg lower in 2022 uh, below $20,000, which it did do when it was trading higher than that. And his view is that higher interest rates make it less attractive for investors to hold Bitcoin. So that's one view. An even more bearish view has come from Standard Chartered, the, the investment bank who see Bitcoin potentially going as low as $5,000. They do call this a market surprise. They say it's something that's been underpriced by the market, uh, but something that could potentially happen. And their view is that uh, yields will plunge, sending technology shares lower. The Bitcoin sell-off will continue, eventually decelerating, but they say the damage will be done. By then, uh, you see more bankruptcies and collapses uh, in companies. So that's the other side of the view here. Um, obviously, very difficult to predict what happens to Bitcoin, but it's our job to bring 
uh, the views from the market. Want to ring to, to fight it out. Who is right uh, on exactly. the Bitcoin call? We, we wrote an interesting piece about all the calls from 2022 uh, and how nearly all of them were wrong. Everyone taken by surprise by the implosion of the market, the collapses, the bankruptcies and all the issues we saw. Um, so that was interesting as well. But um, what a whirlwind. We've covered a lot there, Ryan. Uh, really pleased you could join me today. Thanks for, thanks for being on Beyond the Valley. Thank you for having me. Uh, and of course, our viewers can and, and listeners can get in, uh, in contact directly with us on Twitter. What's your handle, Ryan? Ryan underscore Brown underscore. Perfect. And mine is at Arjun Karpal. Uh, please do get in touch. Let us know your views, your thoughts. Are you invested in crypto? Where do you think it's going this year? Uh, what's your outlook for the market? But that's it for another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Karpal, and I'll catch you next time. Beyond the Valley.